Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you as we look to your word this morning. I thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, that, that your people here are hungry. I speak that over them, Lord. I believe they are in reality, but even if they're not that much, I thank you that, that the power of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Ghost quickens on the inside of them and makes them hungry. I thank you that they focus now and they garner their mind and attention, that they focus on your word. And as, as Proverbs 4 says, they incline their ear unto your sayings. They stretch forth their hearing. Lord, intentionally to receive what the Spirit of God would have for them today. Lord, I'm going to share, like I always do, from a place of revelation knowledge. If it's not revelation knowledge to me, it won't be for them. It must be real to me in order for me to be able to communicate under the anointing to them. So I claim, Ephesians 1, that the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you and your Word would be their lot and portion this morning. And that they would see things that they haven't seen and things would be quickened by the Holy Ghost that before had not been quickened, that the word would be poured, revelation, rhema would be poured into them like vessels of honor that should pour it into a hungry heart this morning, Father, and that, Lord, this would truly help them. I believe it will help them because it's helped me. Lord, some of the things I'm going to say are going to sound simplistic, are going to sound repetitive, but, Father, I'm asking you to do for them what you've done this week for me, and I'm asking you to quicken it by the power of the anointing because when it's quickened with revelation knowledge, it's no longer simple and repetitive. It is profound and it is life-changing. So I thank you for it and I lean and trust that anointing completely and we give you glory and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. People watching, I can't hear you, but I know you said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Turn with me if you would. I said, Lord, there's so many things we could talk about. And obviously my main sermon is on hold about the vision because I was continuing from last week. So all that's on hold. But just turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. I have some things to share with you today that are very real to me and that have been quickened by the Spirit to me recently. And I feel like it will be a blessing to you to listen to it. And not just because of what we're going through in society. That's not the only, that's, that's maybe part of the motivation, but that's certainly not the only motivation for what I'm doing here. Because the Spirit of God spoke to me this morning. He said, I want you to teach on this. So evidently you need to hear it. Yes, we're going through, you know, world stuff, we're going through it, but it's more than that. It's, it's about even after this, after this is all over. This is stuff that we have to have a lifestyle. If this is a lifestyle to us, Reverend Dan, situations like this, they're a blip on the screen. It doesn't matter that it's global. It doesn't matter that it's never happened in modern human history before. It's a blip on the screen to those that understand what we're talking about here. So have a look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It's a famous scripture, and it's an easy one to remember. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now let me read it to you, please, <clears throat> from the Amplified Version. I want you to hear that from the Amplified Version. Just give me a second while it loads. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to this. Do not fret or have anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Notice it didn't just say your needs, it said your wants. Can I also read it to you from the Passion Translation, which I've, which I, I've come to enjoy. It's, it's an interesting translation. Reverend uh, Brother Jerry gave me this Bible, and, uh, and, and it's got some interesting phraseology in it. Listen to this, Philippians 4, 6 from the Passion. Don't be pulled in different directions. What is worry? It's pulling you in different directions. Or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace, which transcends human understanding, will make the answers known to you through Christ Jesus your Lord. What a wonderful, what a wonderful translation. Let me say it one more time. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. If you're worried, you're being pulled. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, saturated, offering your faithful request before God with overwhelming gratitude. That's the thanksgiving. Tell him every detail of your life. 
That's supplication. It's telling him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Christ Jesus. I love that. So we see here that we are not to be careful. Now, really, most other translations use the word anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Okay? Now, I want to I wanna, I wanna say this to you because, you know, we've been not only this kind of stuff, now this is another thing on our plate, but, but this, these, these two situations that we've been facing legally, that, that I won't get into details because we're live streaming, but you know we've been facing two situations legally that are very serious. And uh, I, God's given me now, today, 12 words, 12 separate words. I mean, that's a lot of talking. God only had to give me one. But because he's so kind and he knows our frame and he knows our, our personalities and he knows our sensitivities and he knows our weaknesses, that he's so kind that he gives us overwhelming evidence that causes us to stand on his word. So 12 words. Now, 11 words I've been standing on over the weeks, and, uh, but the 12th one came this week. And I don't know why he always talks to me in the shower. I do believe I know why, Wayne. It's because cleanliness is next to godliness. So when you're in the shower, you're closer to God than ever before because you're cleaning yourself. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, I'm in the shower, but I just, I like the shower. And by the way, it's a sacrifice to shower because in Aaron, the cost of water is four times higher than Brampton. <laughs> No, seriously, it's four times. So we pay $300 a month in water where you, all of you pay whatever you pay, 40, 50. So we pay 300 a month. So just lift us up in prayer. So anyway, so when I'm in the shower and, and I'm showering and praying, I'm actually sacrificing for God. <laughs> yes, because it's costing me money. Praise the Lord. As I'm in the shower, I'm in the shower praying like I always do. And God spoke something to me, and this is, and, and, and he, said it, he said it exactly like this, and he said it with this kind of intonation, and he said it with this kind of uh, strength and tone and verbiage and vocalness. He, he just quoted me the first phrase of this thing, but it's, you know, you can, I've heard this a hundred, I've heard this thousands of times. Yeah. I've read this verse thousands of times. I've preached this verse thousands of times, literally. And at some point in one sermon or another, it's been over a thousand times at least. I'm very familiar with Philippians 4, 6. I've read it so many times, Jasmine. I know what it says. I know what the Greek says. I know what the Greek word is called. I know it back to front, up, down, left, right, inside and out, Reverend Rob. But when God says, he doesn't even have to explain it to you. He can just say the exact phrase that you know so well. But when he says it, impartation comes into your spirit, although he didn't add anything to it, which many times he does. He didn't explain it, which many times he does. He can just literally say the same words. But when he says it, something comes into you and a revelation comes as something settles you in concrete that you, that you, no matter how many times you've meditated on it, it just wasn't there before, but it's there now. And he said it to me like this. He said, do not be anxious for anything. And he said it like that. Strong, intonated, bold, like he's not playing games. He's not messing around here. It was command form. Do not be anxious for anything. But when he said it, I know I could quote it back to him. I know it as good as he does in terms of the English words. But when he said it, something came inside of me. I could feel, and usually there isn't, but in this case, there was even a physical sensation. I felt the anointing hit my stomach area where my spirit man is. I felt something come into me. Something was imparted to me supernaturally by God himself about the subject of do not be anxious for anything. I'm telling you, I got out of that shower because I'm praying out all these issues. I'm praying out all this stuff. Now I've got coronavirus added to the whole thing. And if the congregation are going to behave themselves and, and what's going on and here we go and I have to cancel Africa and cancel this and oh my God and Reverend Greer's canceled this and Pastor Nancy's locked in her house. They won't let her out and everything is, I'm just, I got so many things swirling, but especially these two situations which affect me personally and the church personally. You know, I, I'm, I'm staying in peace about it. I got 11 words, don't you know? I'm staying in peace, but I can still feel the presence and the atmosphere of fear. It's right there. I mean, I can reach out and touch it if I want. It's, I'm not letting it in, but it's, it's ever present. 
That's a bad confession. No, it's not. Because the Bible says that thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, which means, Rob, sometimes you can feel the presence of darkness while you're feasting at the table of God. I can feel them sometimes. And I could reach out and touch that thing. It's so close. But it's not on me and it's not in me because I'm standing my ground. But that doesn't mean I don't feel it. Do you understand? Now, there's an answer to that. I won't get into that because it's another sermon later in the week. But if you don't tune in, you won't hear it. Because God told Pastor Nancy, and I got a great scripture verse that backs it up beautifully. God told her, if you just get in my presence, you won't even have to hear his jabbering. You won't even have to feel his stuff if you learn how to get into my presence. But I got a scripture that backs that up because God has to speak according to his word. But that's another one. But anyway, so there is an answer, even though it's not on me, it's not in me, but I could reach out and touch it. I mean, it's that real and it's that ever present. But that's only because we're not learning to be skillful enough to get into the secret place, into the realm of the spirit. Because when you're in the realm of the spirit, you don't feel it and it's not there. It's like you're hidden. It can't find you. It's like there's a force field beside you, but you've got to learn to stay in that place more regularly. Even if you're not praying, there's a way that you can still maintain being in the spirit. Do you understand? And then that stuff doesn't have to bother you. You don't even have to feel it or hear it. But until you get skillful in that, you may not have it on you. You may not have it in you. But if you're not in that secret place and learned how to get in and stay there, it's still present. You can still feel it still brings an atmosphere. You can reach out and touch it, but you're standing your ground. But that's good, but that's level one. Level two is not even, you don't even aware of it because you're in the secret place. So we're all growing. But because he knows I'm going through that, he did that as a gift to me. When he said, be not anxious for anything, something came into me. And I don't know how to explain it, but the, 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 that feeling, that sense, that atmosphere, that tangible fear and concern that I haven't let on me or in me, but is present, it disappeared. And it's been disappeared since that moment. <laughs> I haven't actually felt it one time since that moment. So not only did God give me a revelation, but he also, his power drove that thing out. That's interesting. And I've found myself, because the devil was not stupid, he will still bring thoughts to you and he'll still try to talk to you. And he'll still try to bring the feeling, the feeling. So that has happened a few times. It's not an ever-present thing. But occasionally, if I, the thought comes. Now, let me try to help you understand. A thought is a demon. When, a, the, when a, you're not generating a thought, it's either an angel or a demon. Or it's the Holy Ghost. But it's not, it's not, you understand, you can generate it on your own. But if a thought is coming from the outside and you can tell that you didn't come up with that thought, it's either from God or it's from the devil. There is no other option. So a thought can come and it'd be a demon spirit that puts that thought there. Now, if you think about that thought, if you meditate on that thought, in a second, that atmosphere and that presence is right there. Now, if you haven't been fighting it off with the good fight of faith, it'll actually get on you. And if you don't, if you don't keep, if you don't deal with it, it'll get in you. Now, when that fear gets in you, you're in big trouble. But even if it's on you, it's still, you don't want to be there because now you're trying to fight to get it off you. But it will, even if you've been standing and confessing and saying, no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. And you're quoting the word. It will still come. You can feel it, but it's not on you. Do you understand? Can you understand where I'm coming from? Now, when God's power comes, like in the shower, he can drive that off. And if you just keep standing your ground, you'll drive it off over time. And if you get into the secret place of his presence, it will drive it off. Do you understand? But in my case, it's there. When I'm in his presence, it's no longer there. But I'm still learning how to stay in his presence on a, on, on a, throughout the whole day. Because there's regular life to live. And there's little kids that are pulling each other's hair. And there's dogs that need to be punt kicked over the fence. There's many things that have to be done in my day. So I'm still learning, Reverend Rob, to stay in that presence because I'm not as skillful as I want to be and as I will become. So when I'm in that presence, it's gone. But when I'm not in that presence, I can feel it. It's not on me because I'm using my faith. If I was using my faith, I'd be overcome by it. But it's not on me, but it's there. It's there. You need, I just heard the Holy Ghost say, uh, and I don't, mean to, I, I don't mean to do anything that would embarrass or whatever, but I, I, I have to say it. Um, Sally and Wayne, you need to make sure that your nephew listens to this message. 
I just heard him say, tell them to make sure he listens to it because this is a rescue for him. This is a rescue for him for what he's facing in a variety of different areas. It's very important that he listens and that he gets revelation of this. If you withstand it, it can't get on you. If it gets on you, overwhelm you. But it, even when you're withstanding it, it will stand. Because that verse says, I'm feasting, but I'm in their presence. But that's still not the highest flow. But it is, it is a way that most of us operate. We're fighting it off. We're holding it off in faith, but we can feel it. And if you reach out, you could, you could, that presence of fear is so close. But it's not on you. So you're walking around and you are technically in peace, but it's following you. And you can feel it. Like Pastor Nancy could feel death for three, almost four years. Now, she wasn't as skillful then as she is now. But see, we're all growing and learning. I'm just telling you, I, can feel, I could feel it all the time. Now, if you get in his presence, it goes. But if you get out of his presence, it's there again. Now, when God does something divinely supernatural on your behalf and he comes, he initiates, he can drive that thing off you, which would what happened to me. I, 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 even if I'm not in his presence anymore, he has done something to aid me and he has caused that thing to leave me. Because of my faithfulness and all that stuff too, but just because just he, he loves me and, and he sees I'm doing everything I know to do. Now, just because it's left me, Reverend Taylor, it's trying to find a way back. Right. So what does it do? It brings a thought. Yes. Or he'll use somebody around you to say something. So it may not be even a thought. It might just be something somebody says, which is now in your mind. So he'll use situations or circumstances, people, or he'll just send a thought from the devil. The devil will just send a thought through a demon spirit and it will just come into your mind. Now, and that, that, that started happening within an hour of getting out of the shower. Didn't feel it for an hour, but then that thought comes. Now, it's very important how you handle that thought. Because if you think about that thought, that thing is right back there. If you keep thinking about it, it gets on you. If you keep thinking about it, it gets in you. So I could feel that thought coming, and I know, because I'm not stupid, how I, how I respond to this thought is going to determine whether that presence comes again or not. So you know how I responded? Because Jesus responded. You never respond with your thoughts. You don't answer thoughts with thoughts. You don't overcome thoughts with thoughts. You overcome thoughts with words. That's the Bible way. That's what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? When the devil put a thought or spoke to him, remember whether the devil spoke or put a thought, same thing. What did he do? He said, it is written. Now, now you don't have to say the words, it is written. But the point is you answer with revelation from the word. And, and we add in the name of Jesus because that's our authority. So I would, I would feel that thought come. Now, Lorraine, I don't feel the fear. It's just a thought. He's trying to get back in because the power of God drove him out. Now he's trying to get back in. So I can, this thought is coming. Now how I respond to that thought is absolutely critical. So I need to answer that thought by saying, and what do I say? I'm saying the word. And because God delivered me by speaking the word, I figured that is a good place to start. Let me respond by speaking the word. And so I would say, I am not anxious for anything in the name of Jesus. So it is written. I bind you. I command you to leave me. And it would go. And I'd feel a little bit later that another thought would come. And I'm, I'm trying to help you be skillful. How you respond to the thought is going to determine whether that fear comes back. And I would answer it again. And, and, and on that first day, I must have answered it, I don't know, Jenny, 12, 15 times. And I would say, just like God said it, I am not anxious for anything. Amen. Strong and bold, like I believe it, because I do believe it. Yes. And it would leave. But then I noticed after that first day, it was more of a, I'm, I, I'm keeping it off. I don't feel it. But it's trying to get back in. It's trying for that feeling to come back, that sense of fear to come back. And if I don't answer it right, that thing will have a divine right. It has another divine. It has a legal, spiritual right to come back. And then either God has to do the same thing where his presence divinely pushes it out or I have to get in the presence of God or I have to just get into intercessory prayer and just keep hammering that thing until it leaves. It, it It can leave in a variety of different ways. You're not just, God doesn't have to come. If God, if it could only, if it could only leave by God coming on the scene, like he did in the shower, then we'd be at his mercy. He did that as a favor to me, but it does not just leave by him coming on the scene. He can do that to help you as a gift, but that's not the, that's not, we're not limited to that. It will leave because if I keep standing my ground and I keep pushing that thing, it will eventually leave. 
And I had been doing that, but I hadn't got, I hadn't got to that breakthrough part where it had actually left. It was just staying off me, but it hadn't actually left. But if I had kept going, that would have been the result. God just sped up the process for me by doing it for me. He came in his presence and knocked that thing out. And of course, you can always have a reprieve by just getting into that secret place. It's no longer there. Can't see you. You're hidden in Christ. But, but if you don't learn how to stay there, you come out. It's still there. But you just keep hammering that. Just keep hammering that. It will leave. But listen, when it leaves, however, whether you drove it out or whether God just comes to assist you divinely, when it leaves, it's not stupid. It's trying to find a way back that understands the legal legalities of God's word. And if you don't do your part, it has a right to come back. So how you respond to the thought is your legal response in the realm of the spirit to that demon. And you must answer. And you must answer whatever is revelation in your heart at that moment. You can answer general scriptures, but it's more powerful if you answer the scripture that you have revelation on because there's more power when you have revelation in it because it's no longer rhema, logos, it's now rhema inside you. Jesus answered because he had revelation that man would not live by bread alone. He answered because he had revelation that you're not going to tempt the Lord your God. He answered out of a place of revelation. He wasn't just quoting empty scriptures. He answered, the, he answered with rhema word. So it was revelation to me because God imparted to me and I answered with revelation word and I said, no, you don't. I will not be anxious for anything. And it hasn't come back since. But you know why, Taylor? If I, had, if I had thought about that thought just one time. And one way he tries to do it is to give you unholy imaginations that I don't mean sexually impure or violent. or that. I'm not talking about those. That could be it as well. I'm talking about unholy imaginations when he tries to put a thought in you of what could happen, what might be the result. And, and he'll put thoughts that for me, because this is a serious situation, they're lying about me. But if I can't prove and if the judge doesn't believe my word over their word, even though it is a complete lie, I could go to prison. I could. I mean, it's that serious. Probably wouldn't be for very long, but that's not the point. The point is, this is, a, this is a demonic assault. Not only out there is it a demonic assault, but it's a demonic assault constantly, constantly, constantly. Do you understand? So he will put thoughts in me about... Now, I see, like literally, he, he, there's an image. He project, I, I can't tell you how many times where I see myself in that orange jumper. And you're laughing, but, but I'm not laughing when that happens because it freaks me out. Yeah. I see myself that, and then, I, and, I, and then another flash, and I see on the front page of the sun, pastor gone to prison, and the, and the reproach, or the this that that would bring on that, or whatever it else. It doesn't matter that it's a lie. Right. People don't believe the truth. They only believe what they see and that they hear. So he'll project that image to me. Now, let me say this to you because he doesn't mean it and I'm not being disrespectful, but he'll even use somebody that you respect because when Randy Greer and he's joking, but when he's teaching me how to make hot chocolate in the big house by putting a Milky Way bar in boiling water and stirring it and then rolling up a, a magazine because the tins, to, they don't have handles on it, at least when his day they didn't, I'm sure they do now, and how you make a little hook at the end of the, of the magazine and you hook that around the thing and then you can hold that over the, over the big lighter as you heat your hot chocolate. Now that's a laugh to you and I'm laughing as he's saying it, but the devil brought that image to me. I can't can't tell you how many times yeah, yeah. because even though he does it he means it completely innocently and he's not to blame whatsoever in fact I thought it was kind of hilarious when he said it but see the devil will even use that he'll even use that to try to put an image in your mind so he's trying that now when that thought comes I haven't done anything wrong because I didn't create the thought that's a demon bringing the thought to me. But how I respond to that thought, now if I think about it even for a second, he's there, there. He's, he has legal right to come. Now I've got to now fight to get that off and eventually it will leave, but I'm, I'm, I'm in for a fight now. It's just better that I don't let him in to begin with. And if I answer that thought quickly and carefully and accurately from rhema, not just quoting a scripture, quoting what I have rhema and revelation on. And I say, no, you don't. That thought is pushed back. And that atmosphere can't come. Amen. So all week, most of the week, I guess since, I guess that happened on Thursday. 
So from Thursday to now, it hasn't been very long, but from Thursday to now, uh, and before that for weeks, that thing's been there constantly. It's there when I wake up. It's there when I go to sleep. It's there all the time. But from Thursday when I had that experience with God and, and that thing left, but the thought has come probably 50 times since Thursday, but every time I've answered it. And that, and that, that feeling, that presence, that tangible feeling of fear has not returned. In other words, I know it wants to return, Lorraine, but it can't. It can't. I'm no longer feasting in the presence of mine enemies. Do you understand that that word is not the highest flow? Just like the word that says if a brother offends you, go to him. That word is not the highest flow. Because that's for baby Christians. Baby Christians that can't forgive and can't let things go and have to always talk everything out to death, they, that scripture is given for them. And when you're offended, somebody offended you, you go to them and you deal with the whole thing. That's fine for when you're a baby, but as you grow up, you shouldn't be easily offended about things. Pastor Nancy taught me that. God said to her, not every scripture is for the mature believer. Every scripture is for every believer, but as you grow, certain scriptures now are for your younger phase. They're not applicable to your older phase. Do you understand? That one is not applicable because you shouldn't be getting offended. Do you understand? So this eating in the presence of your enemies, that's for a lower flow. That's for when you don't understand how to get them off you. But, you, but all of us have seasons of our life where we're easy eating and feasting on God's word and we can feel the devil. So it applies to all of us, but it shouldn't always apply to all of us. Are you with me? It applies to us for this moment, but we should learn how to walk in a greater measure of skillful victory so that I'm feasting and I don't even know the idiot's there. Now, if I don't answer right, I'll go right back to Psalms chapter 23 that I'm, I'm still enjoying God, but I can feel him. But if, I, if I'm skillful with it, and if I'm skillful with my thoughts, and if I stay in that secret place, and if I understand my authority, I can live a life where no matter what's going on on the outside, I don't even feel it. Now that is true peace. God said to Pastor Nancy once, the greatest, the greatest measure of peace, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the gist of what it was. The greatest measure of peace is when you have peace in the middle of a storm. Yeah. 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 Jesus had peace in the middle of a storm. That was the greatest measure of peace. He wasn't freaking out. They had to wake him up because he's in such peace. He's in a deep sleep. And then while the waves and everything's going on, did you notice he didn't immediately, immediately, as soon as he gets up, go, I command you to be quiet. You don't know they'd notice that? He took a moment to correct them. While the waves and everything is about to capsize, he's not in a rush to even rebuke the devil. That shows his peace. He took a moment to teach his disciples and say, oh, ye of little faith. And then he rebuked the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. He took a moment, a teaching moment while they were about to be capsized because his peace was so extreme. He knew exactly who he was and what was about to happen because he understood his authority that even in the midst of great trauma, he is such at peace. He's not even quick to now balance it because the three Hebrew children, they answered quickly. So you got to balance it. I'm not trying to undo that scripture. If from one perspective, you answer the devil real quick. Like when that thought comes, you answer him real quick. But I'm talking from another, another perspective. When the turmoil is around you, your peace should be so great that you're not even in an anxious rush. Do you know what I'm saying? You're just so calm that you even teach somebody something while the devil's got his, his bullseye on your head. And then leisurely, you look at him and say, I know who you are. Shut up. And it will obey you. So there's a balance between the leisure and then the quick answer. And you understand what I mean. They look like they're opposing beliefs, but they're not. There's an act of faith to not be in a panic. But you must still answer quickly from another perspective. Do you understand? So I'm trying to say skillful. So I'm trying to say that when, this, when these thoughts come, I, I'm learning that no matter what is going on, I don't have to live my life feeling the presence of demons no matter how serious they are Amen. and no matter how aggressive they are because it all starts with my thought. Yes. They are trying to give you thoughts. Yes. 
So if you have a thought and you picture yourself with coronavirus, you need to answer that thought. If you have a thought that you're going to lose your job, because a lot of people are losing their jobs. And if you have a thought about that, and then the next thought is, how am I going to pay my car? And the next thought is, oh my God, I'm going to be in a shelter. And the next, and your mind just snowballs with false images. You better stop thinking about that and not let your mind go down that road. You better answer that thought and say, no, 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 no. You know what? It don't matter even if they lay me off because I have a covenant with God. And I believe they won't lay me off. But even if they do, God is my source. Angels have gone before me to prosper me. They've encamped about me to deliver me. And God has a better job lined up. So devil, just, just try it. You, you'll see. You won't win. No matter what happens, I stand and I win. But you got to answer it with that. If you don't answer it, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you'll live a whole life of sensing and picking up and living in this atmosphere of fear. And I mean about anything. I'm not just talking about health-wise. That's what we're facing right now. But I'm talking about financial-wise. I'm talking even about relationships. Some people have fear about relationships and they, and they don't want to talk to people because they've had bad experiences or they have fear about this, about some, some other weird thing, phobias like driving or animals or, or this or that. I mean, everybody has stuff that everybody's unique to. And, and so the devil knows because there's familiar spirits that are assigned to you. Remember, Psalm says, my enemies watch for me constantly looking for my life. There's demons watching you. Now, we know that familiar spirit, those familiar spirits watch you. We know that in the Bible because the witch of Endor, remember, that familiar spirit came in the form of Samuel. That familiar spirit knew Samuel, knew everything that Samuel looked like, knew how he acted, knew how, knew how he moved, knew everything. And they can mimic, which is why when Saul, when that witch conjured, they were, she wasn't conjuring Samuel, Samuel's in paradise. You can't take him out of paradise. She conjured a demon spirit. She's a witch. Witches can't, can't, don't have authority over righteous men in heaven or their version of heaven, which is paradise. She conjured a demon, a familiar spirit that spoke and looked and acted and even twitched and even smelt like, Sam, like, uh, like Samuel. Because that familiar spirit watched him his whole life and could mimic him exactly. So that evil spirit watches you, knows you, knows your weakness, knows your strength, knows to how to push your buttons. And, and they, they analyze and they watch you so that they are aware. They are aware. Remember, Jesus, the Bible says that Satan, after he had finished his full cycle of some temptation, he stood off from him for a season. I'm quoting the Amplified until a more opportune time to strike. So the devil is like a hyena. He's an opportunistic hunter. He'll, he'll prey on the, the moment that you're weak. That's why he came to him in the wilderness because he thought he's weak. He hasn't eaten anything. What he didn't, because he's not the smartest knife in the drawer. He's not the sharpest knife or the brightest bulb. The devil is. Because he should have known just because he's physically weak, he's spiritually strong. Because fasting makes you spiritually strong. But he was trying to prey on him in a moment of physical weakness. But he, he forgot that in physical weakness, there's greater spiritual strength. So he stands off for a more opportune time to strike. That means what? They're watching him. They're watching him. Taylor, they're wa I know that sounds freaky, but don't let it bother you. But there's, there's demons watching you. There's demons watching every one of us. They're watching for our weakness. They're watching for trends. You think these computer things are, are, are great trendsetters? Demons are supernatural beings. They are smarter than any computer. And they, they, they compute everything instantly. And they understand exactly. They've got all your stats from the time you were born till now, at how many, what percentage, what percentage of times you failed when this particular attack came? And, what, and who has the greatest voice into your life? And, and where you're more subject to fear and where you're not. They know everything. So they're waiting for an opportune time. And especially at moments like this, where there's this kind of calamity, oh, there is an opportune time for them to now use what they've studied for you and to start pushing buttons, pushing buttons, push. And how does it normally come? Through thoughts, through thoughts. It can also come through feelings because they can come physically and tangibly there, but it primarily comes through thoughts. That's why the Bible says casting down every thought and vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing every thought into captivity under the obedience of the word. Amen. Jesus is the word. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thoughts. Listen, young people, it's the same thing. 
I'm telling you, these young people, you better listen. You better not be, I'm not, not you, you're not doing that. I can see you're listening. But I'm just saying some young people, they come and they just play iPads the whole service. They don't listen. Yeah. When we were with Randy Greer last, last July for the youth camp, and by the Holy Ghost, he, he called on the very first night. Yes. And then he called it at different times throughout the week. How many are struggling with suicide? I mean, these are all born-again church folks. Right. Yeah. These aren't sinners. Yeah. Taylor, you, you saw how many people go up. Yeah. I mean, there was like dozens. And there's only, what, 100 kids there? 150, maybe 120 kids? There was at least 40 kids. Some of them as young as 11 years old that were at the altar asking him to cast that devil out of them because they are hounded with thoughts to kill themselves all the time. Do you understand what we're saying here? That even the younger generation, there are demons watching them. There's an assignment and they are trying to find ways to destroy them. If they can't get them to kill themselves, they'll try to get them to sleep around. They'll try to get them to cuss. They'll try to listen to secular music. There is constant. So young people have to do this just as much. Just as much. And a young man in our church who was down at the youth camp came to me. I won't say who he is because he wouldn't want it. I don't think his parents would want me to say it either. But he came to me privately and he said, Pastor, I keep thinking all the time. I keep thinking about killing myself. I have, a, I have like a voice I can hear. And it says, it's not worth it. Kill yourself. It's not worth it. Kill yourself. Yeah. And he said, but thank you for teaching me because I preached on how to answer it that night. And he said, thank you for teaching me how to answer it because I'm going to now, when I feel that feeling, because I think it's me, I think it's me, but you taught me that it's not me. That feeling is a demonic, it's projecting a feeling on me. Those thoughts are not my thoughts. It's projecting a thought into my mind. It's not really me. It's the devil. And I'm going to start saying, no, you don't. And he started and that thing left because yeah. I followed up with him. Are you okay? Yeah, it just it stopped. Another young man said that a thought kept coming to him, homosexuality is normal, homosexuality is normal, homosexuality is normal. And friends at school that don't believe what we believe, we're telling him, you're, you know, you're a weird, you're a weirdo for saying it's not normal. So he's being bombarded by people, but he's got a thought hammering him. And he said, Pastor, I, I started to believe it was normal, but now if, if, I, if I understand that that suicide thing was a demon, then I realize that this, this homosexuality thing is also a demon. And I started speaking to that and it stopped. He said, now, now, now I, I, I don't have that thought anymore. Now, if an 11 year old is being told to cut themselves and hang themselves and jump off a bridge, nobody is exempt. Do you understand? Hallelujah. Praise God. We have authority and rights, Jenny. And we will be anxious for nothing. 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 Not what people say about us. Not lies spoken. Not looming legal threats. Not diseases that could kill. Not loss of jobs that could threaten finances. Not car accidents. Not terrorist attacks. Nothing. I will be anxious for nothing. Say it with me. I will be anxious for nothing. Live stream audience, you're slacking. Say it out loud. One, two, three. I will be anxious for nothing. 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 Nothing is on the table. Nothing is permitted to be anxious over. Not one thing. Would you, you make, make a covenant. You make a, you make a covenant with your mind. Remember what Job said? He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully upon another woman. That's a smart covenant to make. Some of the young men in our church and some of the older men in our church need to make a covenant with their eyes that they'll not look at Playboy. The only reason you do it is because you haven't made a covenant with yourself. Well, you can make a covenant with your heart and with your mind. I will never be anxious again. And no matter how, many, how much you push me, devil, I will just slam that sledgehammer of the word until I break your skull wide open. I'm not going to quit. On, I'm not going to quit. I will answer you until I lose my voice. And then I'll answer you whispering. Do you understand? I will be anxious for nothing. Nothing, Reverend Dan. Nothing. Nothing. Everything has been removed from the table. There's not one grain of salt on the table that you have a right to be anxious over. Hallelujah. Before I close, let me, let me, let me, I had a whole great sermon planned. 
I got out the first point. But that the anointing was on it. Amen. Now the rest of you scallywags here, you can't listen to part two because I'm doing that tonight. But if you, if you log on, then you'll be, you'll be encouraged because there's more. Amen. So let me, let me just read you this, please, because I thought this was just magnificent in light of what Reverend Greer said about distractions. So I went to that word careful. Be careful for nothing. Right? Now the word careful in the Greek word means three things. It means to be anxious. That's why most translations say be anxious for nothing. It also means to be or have care. That's why the English word is careful. You're full of care. Right. And it also says this in the Greek. Take the thought. Yeah. 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 Be anxious. Be careful for nothing. Means to be anxious for nothing. To not take or have care about anything. And to not take the thought. Now remember Jesus said in Matthew 6. Don't take the thought saying. So when the anxious concern or fear comes as a thought you've got to be careful that you don't respond by agreeing with that thought with your words, but rather canceling and attacking that thought with your words. When the thought comes, you don't say, oh yes, I might lose my job. You've just taken the anxious thought saying it. No, you say, no, no, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. You know why this doesn't work for some people, Lorraine? Because they're quoting logos. Yes, well, I quote the Bible all the time. Yeah, but you don't have a revelation of it. So you just quote a scripture like it's, like it's just the Reader's Digest. It's no more real to you than the Reader's Digest. You know it's, it's God's word, but it's not real to you. So you can quote, my God's by my knees, my God's by my knees, my God is by my knees. It's just Reader's Digest to you. That's why there's no power to it. Meditate on my God shows a promise until it gets down on the inside and you really believe it. Yeah. Now when the Holy Ghost has poured revelation into you, because that's what Rhema means, it means to pour, it means to quicken, it means to become alive. When it becomes alive in you, now you answer, my God shall supply. And it's real to you, there'll be an anointing that pushes that thought back. But if you just answer scripturally, but it's not Rhema, it doesn't work for you the same way. It doesn't. So you've got to learn to do this. Now, we just said, be anxious for nothing. What does it mean, Reverend Taylor? It means, be careful, means to be anxious. It means to take or be in care, and it means to take thought. Yeah. Now, we know, I'm not going to get it for sake of time because we ran out of time, but we know Matthew 6 talks about don't take the thought. And there's some more revelation, but you'll have to watch live stream. And we know that 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care on the Lord. But God gave me some new revelation from that scripture, which you'll have to watch live stream because I don't have time for it today. But in both, all three of those definitions, be anxious for nothing. That's Philippians 4, 6. It also means don't take the thought. Jesus said, don't take the thought saying, Matthew 6. And it says, and don't take care. Be anxious. The word careful means to take in care. And what does 1 Peter 5 say? It says, don't hold on to that care. Cast it, cast it, forcibly throw it onto the Father. But I saw something else, and I'll close with this, because I can't rip you off. You have to get a little bit extra. So I went to the root, which I've never done before. I've only gone to the first level in the Greek. I went to the root word of that word anxious, careful. Do you know what the root word says? And there's only one definition for it. So it's not a, a hybrid. It's not a combination. It's not a compound word. It's just one definition. You know what it says? Through the idea of distraction. Through the idea of distraction. When you are anxious and afraid and nervous, what is happening? What is really happening? It's not just that you're anxious. That's level one. But what's really happening, what the root tells us, what's really happening, you're distracted. What you should be is focused, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. Keep your eyes on the Word. Keep your faith in God. Trust Him. But now you see, I'm getting nervous about something, so what do I do? I turn. I'm distracted from what I know because I'm focused on the situation. And what happens when I get my eyes off Jesus to distraction? It is fear, anxiety, anxiousness, and care. Which means when I don't take the thoughts saying, 
but I rather answer with my, my, with my mouth that thought. What am I doing? I'm putting my, I'm getting right back on my eyes on him. And when I cast my care, I'm going from the distracted over to Jesus. Distraction. What did the prophet say? It's a season of distraction. What could he have said and been theologically accurate? It's a season of anxiety. It's a season of worry. It's a season of fear. My God, could it have been more accurate? Never in modern human history have we ever seen a global fear like we see this week. And he said, it's a season of distraction. What he could have said, and he would have been theologically correct, is it is a season of anxiety, care, and fear. (laughs) So why did he say spiritual warfare? Because we fight the good fight of faith, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against evil spirits. And so how are we going to do? We're going to resist them. What does 1 Peter 5 say? Cast all your cares. Resist him. You got to cast the care, not be distracted, not be afraid. But how? By resisting, by resisting. What have I been doing when that thought comes? Resisting, 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 resisting. How do I resist? With my words, with Rhema revelation, speaking the word that's Rhema. I'm resisting. See, as I resist, Jenny, I'm casting cares. It's all working at the same time. I resist. I'm wrestling. I'm dealing with demonic forces. And as I do that, I'm no longer being distracted. I'm casting, I'm no longer being distracted. I'm not taking the thought saying what he said. I'm taking, I'm, I'm answering the thought with my words from the Bible. I'm not being distracted. I'm not being anxious about anything. I'm staying focused. It's all, they're all working simultaneously, these different concepts. If you're afraid, you're distracted. It's as simple as that. And there's one other word that says often, the, you know, they, they add Strong's like to show off a little bit because he's so freaking smart. He knows none of us understand half of what he knows. So he adds these weird words on purpose, knowing that none of us knows what it means. So we have to go to a dictionary. So when you meet Strong's in heaven, just slap him a couple times and say, you didn't have to show off so much, brother. You didn't have to show off so much. But he added the word in here in his, as he's a Greek scholar, obviously, and a Hebrew scholar. He added the words in here. Uh, solicitude, 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 solicitude or solicitude, whatever you want to pronounce it. It's not a word we use very frequently, is it? So I had to look that up. It says care or concern for someone or something. But then it said this. I thought this was interesting. An attitude expressing excessive attentiveness. That's what solicitude or solicitude means. An attitude expressing excessive attentiveness. I'm about to lose my job. Ooh, I'm attentive. My attitude toward that, I'm expressing excessive attentiveness. I am excessively thinking about it. I am showing excessive attention to it, Wayne. Showing excessive attention to anything but Jesus is fear. Showing excessive attention is is care. It's anxiety. It's concern. It's worry. It's solicitude. Excessive attention. He wants you to just keep focusing. Why? Because you're distracted. So you're focusing excessively, but you're not supposed to be focusing. You're supposed to be looking at him. So you're distracted by excessive attention. Don't do that. Distraction is solicitude. It is excessive attention outside the word. That's why you keep hearing the men of God and the women of God that are so advanced and know so much more, but they keep telling you very simple things. Get in the word. And you, and you ignore it. You go, I know that. Just give me some deeper revelation. No, just get in the word. Joshua 1.8, just get in the word. You've got to get in the word. You've got to pray in the Holy Ghost a lot. You've got to pray out in English what you know in your authority a lot. And you've got to get in the word a lot. And you've got to do that every day, seven days a week, and there's no vacations. But I want something deeper. No, but if you just get in the word. Because they know that the word keeps your, keeps your faith strong so that you can have your attention not distracted. Because this stuff's going to come, it's going to swirl, and it's going to try to pull your attention and even make it excessive attentiveness. We can't do that. Praise God. So where, remember Pastor Nancy, Reverend Taylor would always say, where's your attention? What's your attention on? What's your attention on? 
Whatever your attention is on is what your cooperation, your agreement is. So if your attention is on Jesus and the word because you're excessive attentive of his word. Then your cooperation and agreement is with God. If your attention is distracted on the circumstance, even worse, an excessive attentiveness on the circumstance, you are distracted. Your attention now is not on what God's saying, which means your, your cooperation is not with God. You're not just cooperate with him by keeping your attention. If you get distracted, you're not cooperating with him because your attention's not on him. Now you're cooperating with natural and demonic entities. Natural things, not everything's demonic, but many times there's a demonic thing behind it enforcing that. So if you, keep, if you get distracted, your attention's there, that means your cooperation is there. Now you're cooperating with something that's hurting you instead of cooperating with what's helping you. Amen. Keep your attention where it needs to be. Remember Asa? Our eyes. King Asa, our eyes are on you, he said. What are we against this multitude? But our eyes are on you. What was he saying? I'm not distracted. My attention is on you. My cooperation is with you. I agree. My agreement is with you. I don't look left or right. I look to you. I'm not concerned because if I get concerned, anxious, fearful, solicitude, I'm going to pull away and get distracted and put it on there. No, no. I, I, I have to garner myself. I have to force myself. I, I'm going to stay focused on you. And when the thought comes to try to get me distracted in a way, I'm going to answer it and say, no, but I'm going to keep looking at you. Yeah. That's right. yeah, that's good. I'm telling you, 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 if you live this, it'll help you. Amen. It's helped me, Jenny. It's helped me. I know how real demons are. I probably know more than most of you because there's a big bullseye right on my back, my front, my butt, my legs, my head, everywhere. They're just bullseyes all over. Because there's a mantle. It's a lot bigger and far more important than I am. I don't know why, and he chose the foolish things to confound the wise when he picked me, Reverend Dan. But there's a mantle that we have, to, we have to guard over, and we have to make sure that we obey it, and we fulfill that calling, because we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. So there's targets that are anybody connected with that assignment that includes you. So that's why these messages are not just, they're not just for your listening pleasure. They're for your action and your obeying and being a doer of the word. So when the first time a thought comes, Quinn, Cole, listen to me. Everybody, young and old, when that thought comes, answer the thought. Don't let yourself be distracted and put your excessive attentiveness on it. Keep your focus. Keep your attention and your agreement and your cooperation with the Lord. Cast the care and keep it on him. Keep it on him. Keep it on him. Amen? Amen? Praise God. And, and, and answer with rhema from the word. For, for you, it might be a different verse than me. But because he gave me such revelation of that verse, I will be anxious for nothing. And listen, there's a lot of things that try to come and make us anxious. Do you understand? The devil really works overtime. I'll be anxious for nothing. Amen? Right, can I end with this stupid story, but it bears, it, it'll help you? I was watching that show May Day. Do you know what May Day is? May Day are FAA-based documentaries of when planes crash. And they say, May Day, May Day, May Day, right? That's what they say. And so they take all these different airlines that have crashed, and then they do forensic analysis, and they, and they recreate, like with actors, what it would have looked like in the cockpit, based on the black box, and the people screaming, and the masks, and all that stuff. And, they re, and then they show you exactly, with all their forensic evidence, why the plane crashed. And I like those kind of forensic things, so I, I, I was enjoying watching that about a year ago. About a year ago. <laughs> so about a year ago, brother. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. And after that April thing last year when God said about the aviation, I was watching it again. And, uh, I, and I'd never felt afraid before, ever. But I felt fear come. Oh, come on now. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, son, if you put your attention on people crashing planes, it's not helping you wow. when you're about to have your own plane. <laughs> come on. Is there anything, is, there, is, there, is, is May Day demonic? No. But the devil will piggyback on it. Forensic Files, longest running show in history, I think, which I like because I like forensics and they can find a leaf and then catch a killer because of the leaf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've convicted killers with half of a dog hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and microbes that are microscopic in the boots that, you know, that the killer walked through the mud. I mean, I just think that stuff is just astonishing. So we would watch it. And then Quinn and I were doing an elongated session one day. We watched like nine in a row. Because Quinn likes it. Remember that, Quinny? And I like it. We were actually away at Bible school together teaching and we had nothing to do in the afternoon and we didn't really want to go out. So we did a forensic file marathon, <laughs> Quinn and I. And about the ninth program, <laughs> about the ninth program, a spirit of fear walked in the room. Yeah, see? I could feel, I know exactly where it was standing. Quinny picked it up. Do you remember that son? You picked it up and he said, daddy, we need to turn that off. And I was about to say that to him because I, I knew where that spirit came in. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he recognized where it was standing or whatever, but he could feel fear. Yeah. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, son, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong right. with this show. But you are meditating yeah. on murder. That's true. No, I'm meditating on forensic science. You are, but murder, everything is about murder. That's right. Your heart's not wrong. And in and of itself, the show's not wrong, but your meditation, what you're putting your attention on is opening a door, son. So we turned it off, I rebuked it, and that thing left. And I thought, so I can't watch May Day, and I can't watch <laughs> Forensic Files, maybe once in a while, but you just, just be careful what you put your attention on, because what your attention's on, what your focus is on, is going, if it's not right things, it is a distraction, and it will open a door. So the worst thing you can do is watch CNN all day long because there's a fear attached to that thing and they're not encouraging you. They're telling you how bad everything is going to be and that you'll probably die too. You can watch it a little bit, but don't put your meditation on that. What happening? Because you're supposed to be looking at nothing but victory, but CNN is the opposite of victory. So when you, when you we look supposed to be, now you look here. There's nothing wrong with that for a second, but if you meditate on that, now your attention, you're distracted your cooperation, your agreement is with something else. If you keep that going, it's going to affect you. I'm not saying you're a bubble and a monk in a monastery that you can never watch the news. I'm saying be careful what your attention and your meditation is on. Keep it on the Lord. You can know what's going on, but keep it on the Lord because we need to keep our focus undistracted. And if you get distracted, what's the result, Reverend Taylor? Care, anxiousness, fear, and anxiety. That's what happens when you get distracted. And this is what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with an epidemic. It's not an epidemic. It's not a pandemic of coronavirus. It is, but it's a pandemic of fear. It is coronavirus, but it's a fear. It's, a, it's fear. And fear is a vehicle by which germs can move. Yes, it is. Amen. Faith is a vehicle that stops the spread of germs. Fear encourages the spread of germs. That's why he said, if you t put it under the microscope on your hand because you're afraid, you'll see yourselves absorb the plague. But if you put it on my hand because I'm unafraid, you'll see my cells by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is in me, Romans 8 verse 2, it repels the very germs and kills them on contact. Awesome. You see, that's a man in connection with his focus and his attention and his agreement and his cooperation on the word and on the spirit. He's not distracted. Looking at these things. That's why it comes out of his very pores. Right. And on contact with bubonic plague, which is far worse than coronavirus. Bubonic plague would kill you in a matter of hours. It died on contact. But that's a man that is completely focused, not distracted. Amen. So we, we have a right to live the same way. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I, I, you, don't, don't go and, I, I know I joke, but I am joking when I say, you know, go and, and you know, let people cough, cough on you and take deep breaths and all that. You know, I, I am joking when I say that. I don't want you to actually go to somebody and do that. You know, you don't test God that way. Do you understand? God was dealing with me in one situation that was not an extreme situation because he could see I was afraid. And he was trying to shake me out of my fear. But we, we are going to use your common sense and wisdom too. And you don't test God. Remember when he said, throw yourself off the temple. And he said, I will not tempt the Lord my God. So even Dad Hagen, when he would not wash his hands after laying hands on the people and would go to dinner, God dealt with him and said, you are testing me. This is Dad Hagen. On something as simple as hand washing. And God says, you're tempting me. 
by eating food after you've laid hands on hundreds of people and all the germs that you've picked up. You're tempting me by not washing your hands. In other words, you're saying, let me, let me, let me test, let me, let me try this out. So there's times where God tells you, go into a zone, a malaria zone. That's not testing him. He told you to go. But then you could also, on the other hand, not wash your hands properly and you open a door to sickness and then you say, oh, God will protect me. But it's foolishness because you haven't done your part. And that's called testing God. Do you understand? So we have to use balance. We can go into the bubonic plague, but on the other hand, you don't wash your hands properly and God says you're tempting him. In other words, do what you can do. Do what you know. Do what's common sense. Do what's wise. What not wise from a fear perspective, but wise. Amen. You see the balance here? Praise God. Because some people, they go out. Dad Hagen, God dealt with him as well. He said, you go out without a coat. Now, Dr. Dufresne, not Dad Hagen. Dr. Dufresne would go out and the Lord, and he got sick and he said, Lord, and the Lord said, you tested me. He said, you're going out in the cold and you're not taking care of what you know to do. And then you're getting sick and expecting me to protect you, but you didn't do your part. You're violating natural law. So I'm saying we, got to, we have a balance here. You don't just go out without a coat on. That's stupidness. But if you go out because you don't have a coat and you have to go out, you stand, God will protect you. But you don't, you don't test God and say, let's just see if your power is really real. I'm going to go and just expose myself. That's stupid. Do you understand? So we got to have a balance with all of this.